We continue our determined series through Nehemiah today as we look at the enemy within. And I want to start with this question. The question is, how can someone see their own people suffering while idly standing by? How can we see our brothers and sisters in Christ suffering and do nothing? Well, we are picking up Nehemiah. He is determined to see the reconstruction of the walls of Jerusalem. And he wants them to be finished, not for his own prestige, not for his own political gain, but for the glory of God. That's why he's serving, for the glory of God. Last week we see that Nehemiah's enemies were outsiders. There was Sanballat and other people that were criticizing and discouraging the work that he did and he was trying to accomplish. Well, this week we see the enemy is not from the outside, but the enemy is from within. This stands to reason that if the devil cannot get you through outward circumstances and outward, and outward people, he will attack from within. And the same is true for us. So Nehemiah stays focused and leads his people of Israel through this critical time. What was his secret? What was the enemy? Well, I'm telling you this morning, the enemy that Nehemiah was facing was selfishness. And the people that he was fighting were not outsiders. They were not people from surrounding provinces. No, he was fighting his own Jewish people because of selfishness. And folks, when the enemy fails in his attacks from the outside, then he begins once again to attack from within. And if he can get us to focus on our own needs and our wants and our cravings, he will get victory over us every time and we will not even know he has attacked. Because when we are trying to do the Lord's work and we're more concerned about how we benefit from it, we have lost the battle already. Well, our enemy is our selfishness. Our selfishness is our enemy. And not only our selfishness, but it's the selfishness of others. You realize you could be as, as straight-laced and as spirit-filled as, as Jesus. But it doesn't matter because there is always going to be someone that is going to be selfish. If you ever grew up with brothers and sisters, I'm sure you know that. If you've ever spent time on a playground as a kid, you probably know that. I'll never forget. I always wanted to ride the big wheel during recess. But oh no, there were certain kids that thought that big wheel was theirs. And I never got to ride the big wheel. Don't you feel bad for me? Everybody say, aw. That's alright. I survived. But I don't know where that person who riding the big wheel is today. But I'm praying for him. Yeah, we learned how to share and not share when we were in school. But... It's one thing for it to be the big wheel on the recess uh, playground. Well, what we see here is that 
Selfish people, I want you to understand something. Selfish people are miserable. And they cannot be consoled. It's kind of like when you're in a restaurant or out in public and, and uh, you know, I love children. But sometimes they just, they have, it's the time to have the fit. You know what I mean? And, and it's, it amazes me because the parents that are with the child, they hear it every day, so they've just tuned it out. Everybody else is just looking back and seeing the tantrum. But the baby doesn't know any better, do they? They just, they know they're miserable and they want some action. They, they want, whatever their problem is, they want to be resolved. And we can't fault them with that because they can't take care of themselves. That's why they need parents and grandparents and guardians and friends and, and all that. But you know what? It's one thing for a child to throw a temper tantrum. I, I threw my fit. I'll go ahead and tell you. Your pastor was the best tantrum thrower around. Till the Lord saved me. Amen? Now, I'm still known to throw one every now and then, but I try not to. But the selfish people are miserable people. And if they are not miserable, then they're miserable about not being miserable. And if you're happy, they want you to be miserable too. Misery, what do they say? Misery deserves company? Is that the saying they say? Well, it's true. Those pictures that have miserable people on it, and it's like it's their world, and we're just living in it. If we put ourselves first, we are putting others second. Understand that. When, and, and how many times have, have I heard people that are in, in marriages and in families where they're saying, they're not meeting my needs? Well, I understand that. Everybody has needs. But my question to them is always, Okay, I hear you and I understand that, but what needs of theirs are you meeting? Because everything, again, comes into how, what about me and what about my feelings. It's one thing to have that in the family, but it's crept over into the work of God, into the church, and everything has become self-centered. It seems like the messages today that are the most popular from pulpits are how you can be a better person and that you're okay. Well, you're not okay. And I'm not okay. It's a disease called sin. And we are sinners in the hands of an angry God. And that's why as great as our sin is, His grace is even greater. His forgiveness is for real for those that need the forgiveness of their sins. But selfish people don't see that. Well, having things our way is not enough. Everyone else is to serve our way as well, right? In other words, I know the best way to do it, and if you want to do what the Lord's called you to do, then you've got to do it exactly like this. That's not how it goes. Everybody in here has different gifts, different abilities. When Nehemiah was rebuilding the wall, I'm sure that there were those that were good at the masonry part of it, of laying bricks. And there were probably others that were good about laying the plumb line and getting directions and surveying. There were others that all they could do was lift heavy rocks, and brother, that was good for them. And when we look at the body of Christ and we look at the work that we are doing, not everybody is going to be able to do the same thing, but that's what makes the body of Christ such a beautiful thing. Different people working together for the cause of one thing. Well, when tough times call, when tough times call, it calls out the enemy within. 
And that is selfishness. When we are pressed, when we have the pressure upon us, if we are not careful, the first thing that comes out within us is selfishness. Open your Bibles, as I said, to Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. We're going to read that in just a moment. But when tough times call, it brings out the enemy within. For example, have you ever been in one of the big long food lines and, and, and you're get, you got your plate and your menu, your eye and everything and all of a sudden you see that that macaroni and cheese is getting lower and lower and lower and you start counting the number of people and you think, well, there might be enough service for when I get it. And then all of a sudden you realize as soon as you get in front of that person, there is no macaroni and cheese to be had. And that just ruins your day, doesn't it? Well, how about getting a good deal on Black Friday? You know that where they say, this, you we're going to give away this computer for a dollar. Then the finding, there are people that, like Krispy Kreme, can you imagine that? We have a new Krispy Kreme in Anderson. People were camping out like two days beforehand to get a heart attack. Really? You get a free dozen donuts like every week for a year? Hey, tell your doctor you got that prescription. See how he likes it. But they were camping out. And people, I mean, some of you in here, y'all don't go shopping on Black Friday. Black Friday is like a religious experience for you. And I understand that. And that's fine, but <laughs> I would like to say that even the best of Christians get their selfishness tested when there is a hundred people in one computer to get. And another one of my pet peeves, you probably heard me say this before, but Christian concerts that are general admission, I love that. Everybody turns into missionaries at Christian concerts where there's general admission. The, the times I have been pummeled the most have been at Christian concerts when it's general admission and people are trying to run over me to get to seats. And then you'll see a row. It'll be as long as like from the organ to the piano. And there's one person in the middle of it. And you go down to sit in it and they're like, these seats are saved. <laughs> Amen, sister. I'm so glad you've witnessed to those chairs. I mean, it's like if you sit in, they are saved. I didn't know they were lost. We went to a North Carolina ball game one time. We had our tickets. And I'm not the smartest man in the world, but it said section 209, 8th and 9th row, something like that. And I look at the ticket, and I look up there, and there's the whole row is full of people. Well, maybe I'm looking at it wrong. Look at it again. Look up. Nope. Still there. I gave my friend to look at it. Is this right? Yeah. They're up there. So I go to the, like, the little person that's got the, the vest on that's like the event helper, and I tell them they're in our seats. And so they go up, and they talk to the group, and they say, you're in their seats. And they'll say, well, there's nowhere else, to, nowhere else to go. What do you expect us to do? And they didn't move. Boy, that tested my, relig my religiosity right there, folks. I'm telling you what. And to make it worse, it was Church Youth Day. <laughs> and the person causing the biggest scene was their pastor sitting with them. God's going to get him. It was selfishness. I'm like, oh, look, I've got my tickets. We paid for it. And it's kind of like, too bad, so sad. No ticket to be had. So we went like up higher in the nosebleed section, but... No, I just thought, man, you know, it's one thing to be treated like that by people that don't know the Lord, but people that do know the Lord. We see that no one is, is immune 
to the selfishness enemy. We all have this selfish enemy within us. And the only thing that keeps it at bay is the Holy Spirit that is within us for those that know Jesus Christ. So as we come to Nehemiah, we see that Nehemiah has has fended off armies. He's fended off critics. But now he's having to protect his people from his own people. What does that bumper sticker say? Lord, protect me from your children? Unfortunately, sometimes that's true. What we see, starting in verse 1 of chapter 5, he's talking about social injustice. And we see that there was a widespread outcry from the people and their wives against their Jewish countrymen. Some were saying, we are sons and our daughters are numerous. Let us get grain so that we can eat and live. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, vineyards, and homes to get grain during the famine. Still, others were saying, we have borrowed money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. We and our children are just like our countrymen and their children. Yet we are subjecting our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters are already enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and vineyards belong to the others. I want you to understand, this was written not for those people that were outside of the walls of Jerusalem, but again, trying to get in. This was written about the Jews that were within the city walls already. It was the Jews mistreating their own. And if you go back and you look at these passages, verse 2 Basically, it's talking about the fact that some were the down and out who had no land or food. There were others that were landowners who had to sell everything to survive. Because, folks, you and I know that inflation at that point had risen to an all-time high. We've seen inflation even here where we live. As supply goes down and the demand goes up, So do the prices, do they not? Well, in verse 4 we see that some of them were overtaxed. We probably don't know anything about that, do we? But, what is it they say? Two things are certain, death and taxes. Well, the thing is, is that at least with our taxes, for the most part, when we pay tax, it goes for governmental programs, and and we get fire departments and policemen and, and all these people that that are there to protect us. In those days, when you paid a tax, you know where it went? Right to the king's wallet. And you didn't get anything for it. And so these people were having to pay taxes and getting nothing for their money. They were being taken advantage of. The Jews were taking advantage of their own brothers and sisters. The children of needy families had two choices. It was to serve or to starve. To serve or to starve. The Jews who were taking advantage of their own even knew better because God's Word said in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 19 through 20, is that they could lend money to their brothers and sisters, but they could not charge interest like the regular money collectors. Well, what did they say like most, pe- most people that are, are ridded with selfishness? You know what they say when they read that? Say, I know the Bible says that, but I'm going to do it anyway. Because our way becomes more important 
than God's way. And we see here that the Jews were not to accumulate wealth and blessings from their own because they were just to enjoy the day-to-day blessings that God gave them. And God, I want you to understand this, God punishes us when we take advantage of the poor. Because in this passage we see that greed has become one of the very sins that God used against or God held against the Jews when they were sacked by the Babylonians. The enemy to any believer, here we go, the enemy to any believer that serves God is selfishness. Your own worst enemy is yourself. Well, when the enemy rears his head, we have to confront the enemy. Let's see how Nehemiah handled this. In verse 6 through 13, we're going to be looking at. In verse 6 it says, I became extremely angry when I heard the outcry and these complaints. So the first thing we see is that he becomes angry. Now, confrontation that is not rooted in God will divide. But I will tell you this, confrontation that is rooted in the love of God and the love of others is always a win-win situation. It's not always comfortable, but when you keep the love of God at the center of that, then you will see blessings. Well, how did Nehemiah confront the enemy? We see in verse 6, number 1, he got angry. Now, when Nehemiah got angry, I want you to understand it was Have you, anyone here ever been angry? Say, I've been angry. Okay, anyone here not been angry? Well, come on now. Well, I'll just let, I'll let you say that. Most of us have known what it's been to be angry, even just a little bit. But nine times out of ten, we are angry because something has either happened to us or someone we love, and it has impacted us in some kind of way, right? This is not the kind of anger that Nehemiah was feeling. Nehemiah was feeling a righteous anger, much like Jesus when he went into the temple and cleared the temple because they had turned the temple into a den of thieves. He was angry, much like when Moses broke the first set of Ten Commandments when he came down and he saw people worshiping Baal. Nehemiah was angry not because he was hurt, but because people were making a mockery of God. How many times do we, every day, see people make a mockery of God and we just say, oh, well, there's nothing we can do about it. Things that used to break our heart won't even touch it now. Things that we used to care about have gone by the wayside because our selfishness has won out. But Nehemiah here was angry, not because of what was happening to him, but what they were doing with the Lord's work. The rebuilding of the walls, I love this, the rebuilding of the walls did not create this problem. You realize that, right? The rebuilding of these walls did not create people's problem with selfishness. It did reveal it, however. When you are doing the Lord's work, and you have any element of selfishness in your life, I promise you, it is going to come out. If Holman Park Baptist Church decides to get on the same page that God is on, 
and do His work, there will be selfishness that will be rooted out. And how do we confront that? Well, first of all, not as a personal attack towards any one person or any group of people, but how is it affecting God's kingdom? We see in verses 7 and 8, it says, After seriously considering the matter, Nehemiah says, I accuse the nobles and officials, saying to them, Each of you is charging his countrymen interest. So I called a large assembly against them and said, We have done our best to buy back our Jewish countrymen who you were sold to, for, to foreigners. But now you sell your own countrymen and we have to buy them back. They remained silent and could not say a word. Basically, Nehemiah called them on their, their actions. And as he did this, I want you to understand, verse 7 says, Nehemiah stayed calm. I know you've probably never argued with somebody because all of you are good Bible-fearing Christians, right? But have you noticed when people argue that one person starts here? No, 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 no. Then the other person? No, 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 no. And then, you know, it just keeps building, does it not? And it just keeps escalating. If Nehemiah would have come in there with a chip on his shoulder, angry, and said, let me tell you what I think, it would have blown out of proportion. But Nehemiah knew that he was doing God's work and it helped him to have focus to stay calm under the situation. Nehemiah did not react in the heat of the moment because he gained perspective first. Nine times out of ten, what did Nehemiah do before he did anything? He prayed. Folks, if you are a praying person, it's going to give you perspective. If we hope to grow as a church, we need to pray before we act. We need to be angry about social injustice. We need to be calm in how we handle it. And also, we need to get focus in verse 8. We need to look past the drama to define and identify the problems. The walls would never be completed if the people were divided among themselves. You understand that, right? As long as the people were divided and they were taking advantage of one another, there was no hope for the walls to be rebuilt. If there is any hope for this church or any church in America, across the world today, to grow, whether it be spiritually or numerically or both, the only way it's going to happen is if we are all together. That does not mean we all have to agree on everything. But at the end of the day, we keep God's purpose at the forefront. We keep the love of God and the love of others at the forefront, and we will grow. Because these people have lost, lost their, their way, so to speak. And so Nehemiah helps them to get focused by looking past the drama and talking about the problem at hand. And Nehemiah did not create this situation, but if you are a leader, and every one of you are a leader in some right, either as a parent, as a worker, as a church leader or something. I want you to understand, Nehemiah did not create this problem, but he had to handle it because God brought it to his attention. And God used him to solve it. Well, let's look now at verses 9 through 13. 9 through 13 says, Then I said, What you are doing isn't right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God? and not invite the reproach of our foreign enemies? 
Even I, as well as my brothers and my servants, have been lending them money and grain. Please let us stop charging this interest. Return their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses to them immediately, along with a percentage of the money of the grain, the new wine, and the olive oil that you have been assessing. Wow. You understand what he's saying here, right? Nehemiah is saying, I want you, every bit of money and resources you've taken from these people, I want you to give it back. Woo! He was hitting them in their pocketbook. That's like, when I talk about tithing, I can see it. Hold on to the wallet and the purse say, go ahead, preacher, you try. No, y'all don't do that. But admit it. When people start talking about our money and our resources, we get very defensive, do we not? And here are these people, the Jews, the chosen of God, that were taking advantage of their own brothers and sisters. Nehemiah is saying, you need to stop and make reparations for what you've done. In verse 12 it says, They responded, We will return these things and require nothing more from them. We will do as you say. So I summoned the priest and made everyone take an oath to do this. I also shook the folds of my robe and said, May God likewise shake from his house and property everyone who doesn't keep this promise. May he be shaken out and have nothing. So what Nehemiah has said here is that you are wrong. I'm giving you an opportunity to make it right. And for those of you that don't make it right, you are out of God's will. That's what he has just said here. When he, start, he starts talking about shaking the robe. That's kind of like the other passage where Jesus says, if you go to someone and they are not receptive, shake the dust off your feet and go to the next one. We have to be on track with what God is doing. Well, we also see that we need to be a witness in verses 9 through 13. The love of God is not in us if we do not have compassion for others. How can we look at people that are hurting and do nothing? Our own people that are hurting and doing nothing. Sometimes we need to quit arguing. And sometimes we just need to get in the game. For that, I mean, there was a boy of a junior high school that was going to organize a basketball team, and all of them wanted to be the captain. Well, the argument broke out, and only one little boy decided that he didn't want to be a part of that argument. So he took the ball to the other end of the gym, and he just started shooting baskets. And he, pa- he practiced, and he practiced while the other boys sat at the other end and argued who was going to be the captain. Well, the coach came out and said, we're going to decide who's captain by each of you boys taking ten throws, and whoever makes the most will be the captain. Who do you think got the captain slot? Not the person that was arguing, but the person that was practicing the shot. We've got to stay on focus with what the Lord is doing in our lives and in our churches. Oswald Chambers says, The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. When you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything. And I want you to understand, when just like the Jews are watching their brothers and sisters being taken advantage of by themselves, 
when they weren't taking advantage of their own. I want you to know what the Bible says about that. When we allow people to take advantage of our own. When we take advantage of our own. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26, it says, Remember that we are the body of Christ. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Well, we see finally that we have noticed that there was an enemy. We have identified the enemy. We have confronted the enemy. And now we need to fight the enemy. And how do we do that? We're going to look in verses 14 and 19 to find that out. And we see that we need to fight the enemy, be led by God, not by selfishness. Verse 14 of chapter 5 says it this way. Furthermore, from the day King Artaxerxes appointed me to be the governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year until the 32nd year, 12 years, I and my associates never ate from the food allotted to the governor. Here's one thing I want you to see. Great leaders are led by great leaders. Amen? Great leaders are led by great leaders. I'm not here today because I'm a great person. But there are people that have been placed in my life that are greater. That I have emulated. That I have been mentored by. Great leaders have been led by greater leaders. John Maxwell is a, a leadership person that I like to, to listen to a lot. And I wanted you to see this quote that he's got. He says, a leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. If you go back and you take that quote and you impose it over the book of Nehemiah, that is Nehemiah to a T. He knows the way. Right here, we see that he goes the way by doing the work and that he shows the way because while all of his brothers, his Jewish brothers, were taking advantage of the Jewish people, Nehemiah could have, but didn't. It's called integrity. And that's the kind of people we need to be so people will follow us. Not only did Nehemiah know the way to go, he lived out a godly life for all to see. And I want you to understand, to have integrity in our lives, to have integrity, it is a choice that we must make moment by moment. You can have integrity one day and not have integrity the next. It is a choice that we make moment by moment. The battle that we face against our own selfishness is a moment-by-moment moment battle. And Nehemiah showed the way by leading like a servant. Every problem that you ignore, I want you to understand, will only go underground, grow, form roots, and bear fruit in your lives that you will not like. We cannot put our head in the sand. When God reveals selfishness to you in your life, when he shows you areas where you are being selfishness, if you just say, I, I got it, my bad, God, I'll work on it, and nothing changes, it only gets worse. We have to deal and confront with our selfishness. 
And we see in verse 19 where he says, Remember me favorably, my God, for that all that I have done for this people. Of everything that he's done, he's asking God to remember him favorably. Nehemiah knew something very important. Nehemiah knew that he wasn't working for a paycheck. Nehemiah knew that he was not working for prestige. Who was Nehemiah working for, church? God himself. And it doesn't matter whether you have a career, whether you are in school, or whether you are retired. Who are you working for? You might not have a job job right now, but as a Christian we all have a job, do we not? We all work for the Lord, and we should serve with integrity. When we submit ourselves to God, we receive His protection. Every battle with the enemy for us, anytime God reveals within us selfishness, it is an opportunity for growth. So finally, I would just say, fight. Fight the selfishness that is within you today. Fight the selfishness. How do you fight it? I'm going to tell you. You know how you fight selfishness? With selflessness. That's your battle. Fight selfishness with selflessness. All that we say and do must be motivated by love and controlled by truth and done for the glory of God. When we have, when I say the church, I mean the church as a whole, not just Holman Park, but the entire church. Oh God, if we could ever make church not about us and about what you want to do through us, it would not only revolutionize the church, it would set you free from yourself. How do you battle selfishness? With selflessness. Let's pray. God, thank you for Nehemiah showing us that you are not happy with, you do not approve of social injustice, Lord. That, Lord, you don't want a lot of Christians that claim your name to be more concerned with their own lives rather than that of others. And, Lord, we know that apart from you, we are left to die that we are prisoners of our own sin and we end up separated from you eternally in a place that the Bible calls hell. And Lord, the only way to not be selfish is to understand that if we continually lean on our own understanding, we will get deeper in our own quicksand. If there is someone here today that does not know you as their Savior and Lord, and their life to this point has been all about themselves. And they are lost. And they are hopeless. And they have lost all feeling towards other people. If they need a change, if they need to know the secret that Nehemiah had, let them know that living a life for your glory is so much better than trying to accumulate stuff on our own. And the Lord, if they have selfishness in their lives, then you will forgive them of that because you love them 
And you want to have a relationship with them. One that's not about them, but one about how they can serve you. Because, Lord, when they do that, not only do they have the benefit of knowing that they have a relationship with you, they have your power in their life. They have your Holy Spirit. They have your protection. They have your forgiveness. They can know what it's like to be clean and as white as snow. Some in here will say, well, I'll get my stuff together and then I'll make that decision. There's nowhere in Scripture that says we need to clean up before we come to Christ. Because there again, if we try to do it on our own actions, we will fall. There's someone that wants to know you as their Savior, Lord, today. We ask they come forward and I will lead them in a prayer and we will be glad to disciple them and let them know what it's like to live a life not for self, but for you. But Lord, I'm sure there's many in here today, and including myself, that have areas of selfishness in our lives. Lord, I just pray that you would reveal that, Lord, just as you revealed in the building of this wall. Reveal our selfishness, not so we can be proud of it, not so that we can boast, but so we can deal with it through your love and the love of others. Maybe someone wants to join the church or they have a prayer need. May you Invite them to come this morning. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?